0: Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is
1: Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegla. It is a Thursday night. Good buddy. What you drinking on?
0: Thirsty Thursday. Having a little Genese beer. Watching the snow come down outside. School's closed for the kid and the wife tomorrow. I'm working them half a day.
1: Good night to record, man. Yes, it is, man. I've got my hams here. We're... uh... I'm watching some snow as well. We got about got about an inch so far, it's sticking a little bit. It's kind of, you know, ebbing and flowing between big fluffy flakes and flurries, but looks like we're going to have a little bit of fun in the snow tomorrow, buddy. We are going
0: to have a little fun in the snow tomorrow. I don't plan on going anywhere. I've got 10 beers in the fridge, a couple fifths if I want a little drink, food for the fam. Um although if my wife, you know, being You know, with child as she is, if she said, honey, I want this from here, I would trudge my butt out and I'd go get it because I am a smart man. (laughs) You know what's happening. You know what's up. Hey, once once you know, you've been there. Once it's happened, it's like like, you know, you know what to do. You don't overthink it. You just do it. I'm sitting here also watching golf out at Pebble Beach. It looks like it's about 68 degrees, perfect weather. So I'm also longing for a good spring day now.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like after this, I think I'm done with winter. Like, right, don't need snow anymore. Let's get warm. You like Bane. Get outside. I'll be done with you. You have my my permission to die. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Hokie fans. So what we're gonna be
0: talking about tonight, my biggest thing is we're gonna be looking at the Brad Cornielson and the Justin Hamilton press conferences from a couple of days ago breaking down some things they said, some things we heard we liked, some things we heard we didn't like, um, and a couple shots here and there. But before we jump to that, Brian, we're going to jump to a non-football-related thing. In Virginia Tech Wrestling, in that epic,
1: I mean epic win, Versus NC State, man! Holy moly, epic win! So, I mean, that was one of the best. I, I, I don't watch wrestling normally, so yeah. not that I, I, I'm very familiar with it. I used to go to a lot of, a lot of stuff in high school and things like that, but I, it's been a long time since I've watched something like this live. And it was, a, it was, it was a great watch, and the back and forth, and then the epic finish. I mean. Most everybody thought it was over, and then it wasn't. And then we pull it out. And then I, I i was just like, I was on the edge of my seat. I know that there was someone else that was calling this that was really, really on the edge of their seat, both literally and figuratively.
0: Rock Harrison, man. First of all, he's a UVA grad, but a billion kudos to that guy. A billion kudos. He kept it engaging. He broke it down sort of simplistically for folks like me and you who don't watch a lot of wrestling, and unfortunately in COVID times, probably friends that we could have over to watch the wrestling with us. We really can't get together. It's too tough. He made it exciting. And by the way, he joined Twitter this week. I followed him immediately. Just <laughs> <laughs> and then they showed, showed his, is it two? Is it two? Is it two? But it was so much energy, and, you know, I think what we just saw is for us as very casual fans, that was a top-ten matchup. And I think probably my expectations now is I look on ACC Network, Big Ten Network, ESPN, if I see, like, two top-ten teams going added in wrestling whether associated with the Hokies or not I, I think I'll probably stop and watch for a little while because
1: I think you know the level of competition when it's that high it's really good level of competition is awesome the passion that they bring to the table um, both from an individual perspective and from the team perspective and how they were really getting each other up for for the uh, for the matches I mean that was just it was awesome to watch And like you said, I'm definitely going to, if I see it in passing, I'll at least give it, you know, 10, 20 minutes of my time. If I, if I've got some time to kill there, because that was fun to watch. That was a really good time.
0: And after that, when the Hokies go from number eight to number four in the country, um, and and you see a a lot of when we watch the Hokies, a lot of the Hokies guys had pretty high numbers next to their name. So the, individually they are very high ranked. And um my buddy David Fuqua, who wrestled at Longwood, he's a fraternity brother, my big Hokies fan. Brian, you got to meet him last year in Blacksburg. Um he he gave me a little bit of insight and in kind of the way the the way I'm kind of feeling it is This is a potential national championship team. Not only for individuals like Makai was a few years ago, but all around it could happen because all of these guys has potential to go far once the NCAA tournament happens in St. Louis. So really big. And then tomorrow night, Pitt Panthers, number 16. 16. Again, kudos to ACC Network. Friday night wrestling. It's at 6, not 8. I'll try to put it on for a little while, and um, definitely do the follow up. So,
1: uh. hey Brian, guess what? What's up, man? I was right. Yeah, you were. Yeah, you 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 got this one on me. My my Tom Brady hate did not come to fruition. <laughs> he got it done along with uh, fellow Hokies uh, Bruce Arians, Cody Grimm, Nick Raponi. I mean, they. That that really wasn't a game mm-hmm. at all. I mean, th- it was competitive in the first quarter, and then you know the couple of adjustments defensively that were made to kind of stop those those little short drives that that Kansas City was able to have just completely took their offense out of the game. And let's start there. You kind of need your tackles to have success against a good pass rush, right? You damn, you right, you do. Damn right.
0: It was brutal. I mean, they took full advantage of a banged-up offensive line. Um, You know, and, again, it's great having three Hokies, you know, going to have those Super Bowl rings, especially, um, you know, it's great for Bruce because, you know, Brian, Bruce was with your Colts, and I think you saw back years ago, like, this guy's a damn good head coach, pays off in a ring for us of our generation, Cody Grimm was one of those Hokies, man. The best yep. whip you ever seen. And Cody played a few years in the league. Um, and now he is shining as a coach. Nick Rapone's an older Hokie. Respect to all of them, but now you got three rings coming back um, to Blacksburg, which is awesome. Now, down before we get into the press conferences here, guys. Unfortunately, basketball Louisville game, revenge game postponed due to COVID issues. Obviously, if you hadn't read the news, Chris Mack, Louisville head coach, you know, tested positive for Hogan about 4 days ago, so essentially he was not going to be there and it seems like contact, contact tracing. tracing <laughs> contact tracing the ugliest word currently in the sporting language, pretty much benched them and I mean Brian was just looking at his phone right before we got on here. Oh, the the Hokies aren't going to play another home game. What for? Like
1: two more weeks? Yeah, we're we're still. Uh, looks like February twenty third against Georgia Tech is is what we're looking at now. So yeah, we're still two weeks away from the Hokies playing another home game here. Um, I, in terms of getting boots back, and in terms of getting a little a couple of the guys that have been banged up back. Probably a good thing, but in terms of the, you know, riding the wave of consistency that this team has had and just having playing out there for the fans, I mean, that that, those aspects definitely, you know, suck with all these cancellations, no doubt. It
0: it does suck, but I do think this, and I think uh, I can't remember who I heard mentioned, and I can't remember if it was on the radio today or when I was watching CBS Sports, maybe, but basically, Regardless, what happens with the Hokies between now and they're in, like they because of having such good wins and the record, they're in. Feeding's going to be more of the importance. I've told you, Brian, my opinion. I don't want to be a three or a four. I feel like when they play teams of lesser ability, it seems like we lose our focus. I want to be in that six, seven ring. I want us to have a team across from us that we know the name on the jersey. And we have to take extremely serious,
1: yeah, I'm right there with you. I definitely think having um opponent that you've got to get up for um we we seem to show up and show out when um when it counts even more so than when it doesn't, so um I would definitely prefer that middle to you know back third seating some but getting a higher seating would be a good prestige um pick for the hokie, So, you know, you kind of weigh that, you know, what matters more? Do you, do you kind of hedge your bets on what you think will be the best setup or do you kind of just want to go for that prestige move and have that, uh, that lower number next to your name? Yeah, it's
0: a, it's, it's a coin flip.
1: You love the prestige, but
0: I, maybe it's maroon glasses. I see this team as a team if it catches fire. Of all the teams I've seen this year, I have not, I have not watched as much as I normally watch. It's you know, A, blame football season because I normally watch a lot of football anyway. But when you're doing a podcast and you're up till 2 o'clock every Saturday night, you kind of got to know what mama got, got to cut down somewhere. So basketball got to cut. But I think that that's <laughs> fire. I think they can beat any team in the country on any given night in any given floor. That's my opinion.
1: We shall see, man. We shall see the next, uh, next three weeks or so is going to be some, some good conference basketball. Then we get to the tournament.
0: Yes, sir. We do.
1: All right, guys, let's jump to it real quick. We're
0: going to start with the pressers. We're going to start with the Brad Cornelson presser first. Um, and, I'm going to just jump right into it. One of the first questions they asked him was essentially about the quarterback room, primarily about Connor Bloomert. Um, First of all, he is essentially everything you heard in that presser, Brian, he's essentially the backup quarterback.
1: Yeah, that uh, – it seems like what is going on here is that Corn uh, likes – what he sees on practice tape for Connor. And he's really trusting Daryl Dickey's opinion.
0: Well, Daryl Dickey's, you know, kind of the man that probably should be here. I don't think we
1: would. Yeah, any- <laughs> Daryl Dickey probably should have Korn's job. If, if the stars would have aligned the way we would have hoped when we initially brought in, uh, Justin Fuente, but that's neither here nor there. We, this is not about bashing. Corn necessarily, it's about what was actually said in the presser. So, um, yeah, so it looks like Connor Blummer is going to be the de facto backup at this point. Um, looks like Knox is going to potentially compete for that role. Whereas, you know, you got a guy like uh Taj Bullock that's coming in that's probably going to need at least one one year of seasoning before he starts competing for a two-deep at the quarterback position. Yeah.
0: I mean, and of course he's gonna have spring ball and stuff to help him. He's going through drill you know, he's going through workouts right now and they're seeing more and more of him. But Brian, even though this was later on in the press conference, not now, it's kind of Brad's talking out of both sides of his mouth because he says, Well, we need a quarterback to develop for three years. First of all, Connor Bluntrick had not been in a quarterback room for three years. Kind of the way it looks, Connor kind of, he'd been between the running back room, the tight end room, quarterback room, special teams room all the time. So what you're de facto saying, and it scares the shit out of me, is if Braxton Burmeister, who is a very capable quarterback to win games and run the offense, if he goes down, the guy who's been the jack of all trades for Texas A&M is our backup quarterback, who probably hasn't
1: played a full season in, what, four years? He was in high school. Yeah, I mean, at this point, you you know, if he's just running some QB powers and handing the ball off to Holston or whoever the running back is for us, um, you know, you feel comfortable with him doing things like that. When it gets into reading coverages and making throws on time and accurately, you know, you don't feel quite as good because you haven't seen, A, him do it at a power five level consistently, and B, He's been, you know, learning in rooms that aren't a quarterback room for the last, what, at least season and a half, correct? Yeah, at least, if not longer, because was he
0: He was 17, right? Three-star. Yeah. 17. So 17, 18, 19. So probably at least yeah. two
1: years, then. I'll, I'll, I'll move I'll on to two, two years.
0: years. I'll go two years. He probably spent a couple years in the QB room primarily, but obviously with Kellen Mond there, you know, Kellerman took that job and he never had a chance to sniff it. Um, something else that, you know, Brad said and kind of, again, it's going against what's happening. He prefers to have five quarterbacks on the roster. Well, we have four. Yeah.
1: He said he's good with four or five, but, you know, at this point he's, you know, we're at the, we're at the underside of that. It, and in my opinion, four isn't bad if you had a situation like we had last year. Four is bad when you have a situation like we have rolling into 21, where you've got really, truly one experienced quarterback, one quarterback that's mostly an athlete that hasn't really been engrossed in the position in the last two years, one that is still coming along, and one that's a true freshman.
0: Exactly. And,
1: you know, last year we sat
0: not – and actually not too long after you know our first episode last year we talked about how our quarterback room was the deepest quarterback room in the country, in which it was, and it proved during the season it was, because all three guys at some point in time played at a very high level, but now we're probably among the thinnest. You know, we have one guy that started, one guy that's only played what, what would Knox play, quarter and a half against Clemson? Yeah. Didn't play the next week. And you know we we sit here, you know, it's just not good. And he, the way he made it framed, the way he framed it is, we're not looking for another one, which is a massive mistake. I think we could find FCS, FBS, G five. We could find a better backup quarterback than Connor Bomerick, Just my opinion.
1: It, not necessarily better, but at least one that has had enough reps recently where if Connor isn't what you think he is, you've got a plan B, you know what I'm saying? That That's, that's yeah. kind of what bothers me more. It's, it's not so much that Connor doesn't have the potential to go out there and do good things as a backup for Braxton. It's that we don't know that and not knowing that not and not having a plan B of someone that can at least go out there and make the throws and, and do the things that you need to do. You know, other guys can step up the slack for a guy that can at least do all the little things, but we don't know even if Connor can do all those things, and I think that that's what is more concerning. Um, but the other thing that was concerning, or at least was concerning to the the timeline, uh, the, the Twitter feed uh, was some of the comments about the uh, two of the quarterbacks that transferred out of the program, Curtis.
0: Yep. It absolutely was. It was a treat out there by Norm Wood that the way it framed, it absolutely sounded terrible in the way Brad said it. But, you know, in reality, in reality, the way he made that statement, it was not as bad as it seemed. It it, it wasn't. We we literally today, me and Brian sat while we were working, our normal jobs, we we got in a got in a quick call together and said, let's play it, let's listen to it, and we'll talk about it. don't like when reporters do that because for us, unfortunately, we don't get the live stream. Because if we got the live stream and people like me and you are listening and Normwood did that sort of bullshit, you don't think <laughs> me and you would be on that timeline saying, Hey Norm
1: <laughs> bullshit, you dumbass. We could call this out in real time instead of having to, you know, fight the narrative that's already in place. And and I, I'm not saying we're out here white-knighting for for Brad Cornelson because we are definitely yeah. not. Um but but what we're saying here is that the way the comment was framed by Norm and the narrative in general and the sentiment among the fan base in general about Brad Cornelson, that was only going to go badly and Normwood knew that <laughs> when when he when he tweeted it in such a way. Um do I think that Cornelson did a great job of saying the words that he needed to say? No, he probably said as few words to describe what he was trying to get across as possible. Um but I don't think he was saying, well, we expected to lose two guys. That was always the plan from Jump Street. N- no, he's essentially saying If you got three quarterbacks that can play football at a pretty high level, they're all within a similar ballpark of each other in terms of eligibility remaining, especially the two younger guys, um, Hooker and uh, Quincy. They're going to want to get on the field, and if they don't have an opportunity to do that here, they're going to take that opportunity to do it somewhere else because they're too talented to not be on the field. I don't think he he said it as good as that, and I probably am not saying it as good as I want to say it. (laughs) But <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it, it's, in yeah. the context of the actual answer it it sounded better than we expected two guys to transfer and then just kind of yeah, let let it hang it, out there it, in space.
0: Yeah, uh, again, and overall, Brad with the entire um the entire press conference, you know is he the worst ever? No is he the best ever know he's somewhere in the middle like most people are um they if they're going to put him out there the way they talked about putting him out there go get go get somebody to help him out Wit, go get somebody to help him out
1: because he needs
0: it maybe he's a guy that needs to stand up versus sitting down
1: who who the heck knows (laughs) yeah fuente likes sitting down maybe cornelson's a stander who knows he likes to lean on the podium the leaning on the podium makes him comfortable it's like a security blanket. I don't know. I always like, like leaning on a podium. I, I, I'm not a sitter.
0: <laughs> I have always liked things you lean on. Things you feel like you know you can change your position. You can you know move constantly. All right. Well, with all that, essentially Braxton is the de facto starter as of today. Um, it's still weird that he had to say that since no other quarterback had started games the roster before then but something he made a point of Brian and I want to ask you from looking at Braxton's you know games last year he talked about you know some of his throws he takes stuff off me and you talking earlier he has got the oppo of Michael Vick where Michael Vick you're in a four-yard hitch. you better be ready because it was going to be a rocket (laughs) coming out. and there are stories and not only Michael Vick, but other quarterbacks too, about breaking guys' fingers. Because, listen, you're on a four-yard hitch. I'm getting it there as quick as possible. But Braxton's a little different, and and can you see that from some of the stuff we saw last year?
1: Yeah, and I think some of that goes into thinking too much. Um, you want a quarterback making reads, but you don't want a quarterback thinking about the throw he's making. That that at that point, because b- between reps and everything else how that throw comes out should kind of be second nature and it looks like he's overthinking that aspect of his game at this point where and and it may be something to do with because he doesn't have the strongest arm when he can let it loose he's trying to let it loose as much as he can and then when when it's not that 20 yard throw down field he's taking a little bit more off of it than he should um that that's my take on it um but it it definitely is something that we saw. We saw it sometimes when he was trying to throw those screens, just putting way too much loft on the ball. Um, Some of those um, little flares and quick outs, too much touch um, to the point where guys can break on it, to the point where guys can get in there and get their hands on the ball um, while it's in flight. So you don't want that on those short passes. Um, And another thing Brad talked about was, you know, getting a little bit more, uh, bulk on on Braxton going into the season, so he's a little bit more ready to play a a twelve game schedule compared to only you know getting a few games of action and leaving two of those with with some degree of injury.
0: Before we jump to the next essentially topic, I have a question: What was he doing there in the whole year? He didn't play. <laughs> I sit here and I heard him say that and I I said, Brian, stop it. Brian, shouldn't he have been putting on weight and putting on muscle when he had nothing to do but lift, put on muscle, put on weight? Again, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, kind of wondered, was Braxton like essentially running a scout team in that situation, even though he couldn't play. To me, some people say, Well, that makes a lot of sense. To me, it doesn't, because he has no He can't get on the field. He's running a scout team. He's a really good quarterback. That's awesome. But here's the deal. You're giving reps to him where Quincy could have been getting reps on the scout team or someone who could have been getting reps on the scout team and been able to go into the play. So I hate that. (laughs) All right, Brian. I'm going to jump to it because I'm hot, and this is going to make me even hotter. We talked about the running back room and the absurd amount of running backs we currently have on the roster. I had said, well, the numbers are skewed and we don't want to recruit that many. Brian stopped it and then asked this question.
1: Then why did y'all recruit that many?
0: <laughs> including three this year. So it's one of these things where it's like, it, you, again, I, I think there's probably a reason behind it. But, again, he's not coached up well enough in a press conference to talk about it. But it doesn't make since and now you have three guys coming in and one of those guys you know ryan kenji you loved yeah kenji feel like he come in and begin playing so now i'll say this maybe at the end
1: of spring we lose a lot of running backs and we open up a lot of scholarships for the poor (laughs) it's it's very possible man but uh you know when we're talking about the running back room, I, I like I like really all three guys that we brought in, but I don't other than Kenji, there was no must have with the guys that we already have on the roster. And that's that's no knock to Chance or Malachi here, but yeah. at the same time we already had eight or nine that we were gonna be coming coming back with. Now we got three more, so Uh, Running back room is going to be interesting. Uh, Expect some attrition there either after spring or before the season starts because I don't think we're going to have that many uh, come the end of summer or end of spring. So that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. The other thing that that Brad talked about next was uh, obviously the offensive line, uh, which we've hit on some the last couple weeks with how – then it is, and he did admit that, that we are light at the offensive tackle position in particular, um, which I think is something that we, we kind of know. Um, but interesting enough, he did say Daryl Bailey and uh, Daniel Milicic is going to have a, a shot at tackle there. I thought uh, Milicic <laughs> would be more of a uh, guard, so that'll be interesting to see.
0: Does that uh, worry you? Does that worry
1: you? Are it doesn't you? necessarily worry me because I, I like, I like this technique. So I think, I mean, he could, he's going to need some work. Whereas I think guard would be more of a natural. He'd come in, he'd fit after a year or so. He might, he might be pushing for the two deep. Whereas now he's going to be a tackle and have to essentially be a depth uh, pick there because of all the, the, the depth issues that we're having at that position. Um, And he, and he talked about another thing, like with false depth and, what he means by that is that there's a bunch of guys that can cross play and play a different position. So you feel like you have, as long as you've got six or seven guys, as long as three of those guys can play every position or most positions, um, that you've got some built in, um, flexibility there, but that's still, that's not the way you want to do it because, uh, to, to, to do the old parable here, we're we're robbing Peter to pay Paul.
0: Yeah, because if Tanuta gets banged for two games and you got to pull Brock Hoffman or Letica Smith to go play left tackle, we're not deep at guard anymore. So you're talking about bringing someone like Caden Moore or Jesse Hansen in who have really no in game experience. Um, And that's sort of scary. The other scary thing, Brian, at least to me it's scary, is he is discussing that Parker Comment could be pushing for too deep. Yeah. And yeah. I know you learned some things with Parker last year, but to say his second season on campus, he's pushing too deep.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have been I would have expected too deep push maybe next year. But when you lose Nestor and you lose Hudson, you have to start shuffling pieces around. And now, you know, tackle was going to be thin come next season anyway, and then it got immediately thin this season because of those transfers. Yep. Um, And he sort of did confirm
0: Johnny's going to be the center. Brock's going to move to guard.
1: You know. He wants to get the five best players on the field. I mean, yeah, sure, that, that, that's, that's a great philosophy to have. I like that. Um, but <laughs> you know, we're, 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 we're still tall. looking at the depth issues at tackle, even if we're moving Brock over. So, again, I'm not so much concerned about the first five. I think we're not quite as good as last year, but I think we're still in the ballpark. It's the we're next good. three that scare me. Because last year the next three were guys that have started a ton of games, or guys that were, you know, either redshirt freshmen or redshirt sophomores that had already had significant amount of playing time their first year on campus or their second year on campus.
0: Absolutely, man. All right, let's jump over to guys on the outside looking at the wide receiver room. Great news about Jaden Payot; he should be able to practice some in the spring, and then be a full go in the fall. We mentioned it last year that he was going to probably be a huge piece of what we were going to do offensively with his speed. So, you know, knowing that he's going to be coming back is great. Let's hope all heals well and he's getting what he needs there because the honest truth is look at how we're built this year offensively. He's going to, you know, Brian, you mentioned it to me and and so I'll say it he's got be he's got to be a big time contributor whether it's essentially opening up the game or catching balls
1: yeah, i mean if he's not either coming in and grabbing the slot position or being the primary uh one of the primary first guys um in the rotation to come in for uh trey or tay where he can help take the top off of a defense um. That's going to be a big problem because we don't really have that guy in terms of a guy that's been on campus for multiple uh, cycles at this point. Um, we got a couple guys coming in that may have that capability, um, but he's really the the guy with that elite level speed um, that has that, that, that capability to take the top off of defense. So getting him as a key contributor will help a lot because one of the things missing from our passing game last year was any sort of deep threat. Absolutely. Yeah, we that didn't, vertical track. we didn't test people down the field enough. Um, and that hampered what potentially could have been an a all-time great running game and just made it a damn good running game. <laughs> damn right on that. Now,
0: something I was kind of shocked about was his praise of Dwayne Lofton and Jalen Jones. Um praise to a point when I when I when I heard about that it kind of caught my ear like, okay, we're gonna have two you know, red shirt, or excuse me, true freshmen getting potentially a lot of snaps. You know, you had Evan Ferris transfer out. Um, you know, they essentially convinced Chang Hodge to hang on another year, and we saw Chang in that last game catch some some nice little intermediate routes to essentially relieve the pressure of that. But when when, when you hear them talk about those two guys I know you you really like Jalen Jones, and then you know Dwayne kind of grew on you, and then you saw Dwayne this year and some of his tape and all his accolades, and you got to say, okay, we
1: might have got two real deals here. Yeah, two real deals, and I I think the wide receiver room is going to be the most interesting one to watch, at least on the offensive side of the ball going into next year, because I feel like from a running back perspective, unless something changes and we bring in another. Running back. Um, if, if everything stays as it is, I, th- I feel like the first kind of three are kind of set, and then the question marks are after that, with the wide receiver because a we need more of them because you with running back you generally only have one on the field at a time. Wide receiver you got two plus most in most cases. Um, it's going to be interesting to see who really steps up behind Trey and Tay this year. Um, is that going to be Payud? Is that going to be Lofton or Jones? Is that going to be Tyree Saunders? Is that going to be Changa Hodge? Um, is that going to be a guy like Raheem Blackshear that moves into more of a slot role consistently versus being a number two running back or a spell back in the backfield? Which would also help with some of the logjam we have at that position. So the, the wide receiver room is going to be really interesting to watch. That's why I'm glad we we actually are getting a spring because I can at least get an idea of what that is going to look like a little bit better because last year it was very much of an unknown and it didn't work in our favor. And I feel like having the spring and getting some of these guys in and seeing what a Tyree Saunders can do and seeing what some of these uh, true freshman guys coming in can do, uh, that that's going to be good for us heading into the season and already having an idea of their capabilities.
0: Yep. The spring this year is going to be big and having James Mitchell back not only for the spring but next fall is absolutely huge. Um, but the one thing I found weird today, Brian, was essentially the offensive coordinator of Virginia Tech had no conversation with him about this. And
1: I mean he, he mentioned Coach Fuente did and some other people did, but he didn't. Yeah, he said he he said he talked to Coach Fuente and Coach Shabest and um did not have a a conversation with the offensive coordinator, which I mean, I mean, not completely off, off kilter there, but just something doesn't smell right about that. Um, for, for a, in my opinion, the best all around player on your offense between what he does, blocking what he does, receiving, all of that, what he does in the even in the uh jet sweep game. I mean, there's so many aspects that Mitchell plays for this offense, you would think that the offensive coordinator would have some discussion about whether or not he returns to Virginia Tech for, for another season.
0: Absolutely, that's just me, yeah. And me and Brian discussed about having James Mitchell, that guy should be at Every single position on the field, numerous times a game, and something that I want to say it kind of grinded Brian's gears a little bit was talking about.
1: <laughs> come on, big man, you got
0: a little. I'm yeah, I,
1: so like, we'll get to it more when we when we get to the some of the hand presser details. But the the beef that I have and w- the vibe that I get and just watching the presser in the juxtaposition between the two. J. Ham understands editing. J. Ham understands reengineering. engineering Ham understands if something's not working, we need to take a look at it, evaluate it, cut it if necessary, re-engineer it if necessary, and keep it moving. And I feel like with Cornelson, it's very much a, you know, we do what we do type philosophy to the offense. Um, which... If he was a high school football coach that's fine, but he's not. Um you you definitely need to figure out in my opinion, a good offensive coordinator at the college football level does a good job of getting the ball in his playmaker's hands any way possible and letting them make the plays. It's not a it's not a system thing, it's a it's a guy uh it's it's an idea of making letting your playmakers do what they do best.
0: Absolutely. And a guy like James Mitchell, you should want him to at least see 10 to 15 targets a game and it was not that way all right so let's turn off the corn we don't again we don't hate him completely we we're just very critical of him but the next guy when he came on the mic it was just different and you know the first thing he touched on was jack's promotion and jc brian and you know obviously he's got the relationship with jc J.C. was a G.A. when he, you know, was a player. You know, he essentially mentioned it several times about being part of the brotherhood. Um, And he talks about, you know, Cap leaving. He's a great person, once in a lifetime person. And, you know, when you have to replace somebody like that, J.C., you start checking the boxes, and J.C. checked them all.
1: Yep. He checked a lot of the boxes. You know, he's talking about – Tap as an individual cannot be replaced, but Tap in terms of the work he did, JC checks a lot of those boxes. JC checks, you know, the the various things that, that Tap kind of was, you know, you would say it were positive attributes for Tap. JC kind of kinda fills that role as well. So it was good to hear him say that, talk about that, um, but also talk about, you know, Tap's going to be missed here. Great encourager of people, both players and coaches and people, anyone that he was around. Um, So, so losing that type of energy and that type of of person is going to definitely be a a big blow. So I was glad to hear him talk about that, but also glad to hear that he's got the utmost confidence in what JC brings to the table.
0: Absolutely. And then essentially probably a guy we feel like, you know, tap brought in, he spoke very highly of Jordan Williams, you know, talking about coming from the Clemson program and, you know, They're winning down there. Um, But kind of the way I kind of felt it, and and this is going to sound funny because as he's walking in, it seems like the way he feels is Jordan Williams has walked into that offensive line room and has essentially, I don't know, like got everybody together and say, listen, I know what it takes to win. Follow me. And it seems like just in the hams, like the guys are buying in quick that he's the anchor down in the middle of that line. And he's the guy that they're going to be leaning on.
1: Well, you immediately talk about a, you know, a plug and play in terms of probably leadership relative to what we lost with a a Gerard Hewitt. Um, But in terms of both size and I'd say at least, you know, upper end capability, I think, I think you're seeing an upgrade at that. So that's going to be big. But what JM talked even more about is, you know, his work ethic and what he's already shown in his short time on, on campus and also just the idea of having that veteran presence to to be the leadership and leader on that unit and leader in the in the locker room and at least on the defensive side of the ball in particular.
0: Absolutely. And um again Ron you've mentioned it several times about how Jordan Williams what what we're doing on defense, he is the prototypical defensive tackle. And and you talk about having that with the work ethic, with the veteran leadership, you know, essentially you're catching aces on everything. That's awesome. He also did a yeah. quick mention of Paul Daly. You know, mentioned how a guy like him playing in the SEC, getting that many starts in the SEC, playing wow. to that level in the SEC, having those sort of statistics, big thing. Obviously, Cap put us on him. Again, sucks losing Daryl, um, but you know it's one of those things where you almost feel like we lost divine Diablo. And I know he's not built like divine, but you almost feel like there is a little bit of a buffer, right? Yep. We're losing yep. divine, We're not going way down We're we're only going, maybe one or two rungs down, maybe in the spring taking, get up to that level.
1: Yeah. And if he brings like, you know, there's a thing to be said of parallel skill sets where you get the same overall return, even though they're, you know, they're, they're different type of skills, you know what I'm saying? Um, so there's the potential there. If if he, if he take those steps, uh, in the spring and in the off season, you know, that he can get parallel level production, even if you're not getting the same type of play that you got with, uh, with divine Diablo. Now he did also talk about, uh, there was a question about spring practice. What's, what's the plan? What's the focus? And this is where, when we were talking about earlier about the we do what we do, this is where the good stuff took place. And th- this this had me roped in. Um, the big thing he he said, you don't throw everything out, but you don't carry everything over.
0: Yes, sir. That was he said that at open my eyes like this. Oh, guys, like wow.
1: And again, I, like I said, I juxtapose that against the uh, the we-do-what-we-do mentality with offense. And I know offense is different than defense. But I like seeing folks that are willing to evaluate themselves and, and like I said earlier, throw out what's not working, re-engineer some stuff that's kind of working but not to where you want it to be, and then keep plugging away at the stuff that looks good. And uh, he talked about, you know, some of the thing, concepts on defense is going to be addition by subtraction, simplifying the things, unifying comp concepts, and making sure that the language that each coach is speaking to these kids is unified across all of them. Where they say this, it means the same thing. When JC says it or whether Ryan Smith says it or whether Jay Ham says it, no matter who is saying it, it, it's ringing true in the same way. It doesn't mean something different uh, depending on what coach you're talking to. The other big piece about this, Brian, and you know, he talked about
0: all that, but the last piece he hit on that, and again, it, it, it hit me right. The staff now knows the kids. They didn't get spring last year to know the kids. And as we mentioned, as we got towards the back end of the schedule, you started seeing that defense come together. Dak said it, but they know the kids. They know their limitations. They know what they do well. They know what they don't do good. They know what type of situations to put them in, which tells me, A, Pam knows I've got to learn my players. Again, it goes back to that same thing. Don't try to force a square peg in a round hole if it doesn't fit. The guy can't do that. Don't make him go do that. And I love it. Now, speaking of a guy, <laughs> what you can make him do and what you can't make him do is Devin Taylor. Um, you know, He's going to start out where he finished last year at safety.
1: But the one thing that caught my ear was, Ham mentioned that he is a defensive back. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, he's a defensive back. He's talking about, you know, he's going to start where he, where he finished at safety. Could be moving to corner. Could be attached to some of the other positions that are more hybrid. Um, but they want to get him in the in the spot where they can evaluate him because they didn't get that chance last year. He came in so late the process. We were so needy at a position. Um, that he got thrown out there. And in, in a lot of cases in a very sink or swim type thing. And sometimes he swam and sometimes he sunk. Um, I think one thing they're going to need to work with him big time on in the off season is going to be tackling. Um, uh, and especially if they're going to keep him at safety, they definitely need to work with them on tackling. Um, but you know, you, you saw flashes, and I think if they can get some consistency to that after they get that eval period, then yeah. he, he could be a big, a big player for us um, or at least the player we need him to be.
0: Yeah, you talk about the flash, There were times last year, a lot of times he was just in the right spot at the right time, which tells you he's, he's a heady player. The tackling thing, I know it, it does worry you, Brian, but let me ask this. How many times – or think about Devin Taylor – He hadn't played, what, since November of 2019. He didn't get a spring. He showed up, basically, fall camp was over. So do you you think going almost nine months without hitting anybody, could that have affected him and lowered it down? Or is it one of those things where
1: after the first few hits,
0: he should have been in there?
1: It it could be, man, because we're talking about all of those factors and making a jump in terms of competition level. So there's, there's two factors there. It's not just, you didn't have this stuff. It's like, you didn't have this stuff and all of a sudden the competition level is jumping up. So it's going to be very similar to some of these um, high school kids that are coming in that potentially could have been impact players as true freshmen. They haven't played in a fucking year. Um, so (laughs) the the, the opportunity cool. is still there but it's less likely than it was before because they're not only making that that big jump but they haven't had the off-season stuff that they're used to
0: absolutely now the next guy I talked about was Dax and whether you love or hate Dax and I feel like with Hokie Nation there is no middle ground with him there are people that love him they love the enthusiasm and then there are people that Hate anything he does. You know he could he could do the game ceiling interception, and well he could have taken it up field. I <laughs> mean, like Jesus Christ, okay. But the one thing he said about Dax and it made sense. Dax was a super highly rated player. Dax was recruited by everybody in the country, so he really talked about how he had the expectation the day he stepped foot on campus. There was no. Yeah you know
1: you have to earn it no dude you're there fortunate. was there was no easing in and because of a lot of the things that he walked into he got thrown into the fire quick too so he's always yeah. been since he's been on campus he's been in front of us yep. and i think it's 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 hard to grow when everybody's watching absolutely So I think there's some of that attached to that. There's some of the fact that he probably should be playing Mike and not backer attached Uh to some of the sentiments that a lot of us have about his play. And I think one of the things that Jay ham talked about a lot during this and and about Dax in particular is, you know, that he likes to learn it. He likes to pick things up and, and figure it out. And he's not just learning one position. He's learning pretty much every position on the defense, what they're doing, how they're doing it. Um, So that means he's got the ability upstairs to get guys where they need to be at the Mike position. Yeah. The big thing for me is going to be, I think he's got all the ability in the world. And I think from a athletic perspective, while he wasn't athletic as we would like to be at backer, he's probably actually a slight step up at Mike compared to what we were getting with Rook in terms of athleticism. So if he can get, some of the other things that he has struggled with, which is tackling, which is shedding blockers. If he can get really good at those things in the off season, or at least better than he has been, that that's going to be a pretty big jump for him in terms of what, what he does on the field, I think personally. So again, I haven't been very high on Dax, especially if you go back and listen to some of the podcasts, especially the beginning of the season last year, but he came along as the season went on. And I think that, the move to Mike is going to help him.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Next thing that Coach Ham hit on was just defensive line in general. Um, You know, Deshaun Crawford, Emmanuel Belmar coming back, big veterans on the team, Um, you know, having that sort of leadership on your line along with the Jordan Williams. You know, that defensive line where last year, Brian, me and you were looking like, man, we're kind of thin. We're not this year. No. We're going to be – it's going to almost be to a point like it was on the offensive line last year, where we're looking. It's like you've got Fuga, you've got Williams, you've got Crawford, you got Belmore, you got Barno, you got Garbick coming back, you got Ali Kendricks. That's eight right there. And I'm missing defensive ends. I know.
1: Oh, you talk, you, I mean, you got Wooten and uh, Alec Bryant. You got. I mean, you got the guys coming in. So, I mean, there's going to be a lot of potential for the defensive line, especially this year. I think we're good um, depth wise. I think in a year or two, we're going to need a lot more defensive tackles coming in. But yep. for for 2021, we're looking pretty good across the whole defensive line. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm really looking forward to what this uh, unit can do, especially with uh, the way Barno came on. Um, you know, I think the thing Jay Han was talking about most is that you had a good year. You progressed significantly within a short period of time. Don't stop getting better. Just because yep. you you're you're at good, don't stop. Just because you're good, keep going. Keep working hard. Keep doing the little things. Yeah, keep doing the little things.
0: Um, he also talked about somebody asked about playing weight, and he said he's going to let the essentially strength staff to determine that because he's – I like the way he said it. I don't need a certain – him to play at a certain number. He's like he needs to get to a weight where he can still – it's almost like he can be functional. He can do what he does best, but it doesn't stress him. It doesn't hurt him. Essentially, don't put weight – just put weight on If you play ungodly at 240, play at 240. That's your weight. And it's one of those things, Brian, I know you can attest to it, Albert Mathis. Everybody in the National Football League said Robert Mathis is too strong or too small to play defensive end at 235 pounds.
1: No, Incorrect. he wasn't. Incorrect.
0: Incorrect. But, but I like the way he saying that because I think for his players, you get to a good weight. You know, hey, Coach, I'm 245. How you feeling? Feeling good. Play. Because if you're 245 and you go out there and ball, that tape's going to show. You're going to make it somewhere. The last couple pieces he hit, Brian, was kind of more about J.C., and somebody asked about the deep connections with it. And, um, you know, essentially back 2012, 2013, he wanted to start visiting other coaches and learn. And J.C. was one of the first guys he reached up to at Marshall. Um, You know, and again, I think it's the Hokie Brotherhood that you hear so many of these guys talk about. And... In having that, he mentioned talking about and essentially press this upon his like he's going to press this upon his kids. Make your connections because in a few years, an older guy could be asking you for a job, or you could be asking a younger guy for a job. That's essentially how JC happened because JC's connections with Ham, Ham going up to Marshall visiting with him, JC introduced him to circles, and then Marshall coming down to Virginia Tech. Coach Wente had invited him and JC always there, always connecting with them. And you you feel like that, you know, there, there's a mesh. That he even he even mentioned talking about Bill Tiernick having you know, having the line and everything. Like he found this perfect puzzle piece and it fit right in. He's a hokey. He's one of the all time guys. He's a guy that's busted his ass to get where he is. And now he gets to come home and, you know, it's, it's a pretty cool story. I hope they can write a hell of a chapter this year.
1: Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty big seeing um, what he's able to do in this system and how he can kind of step into that tap role and maybe even in some areas be kind of a plus in that role um compared to what we were getting with Tap there. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that. I love what Jay Han was talking about about, you know, understanding the importance of those connections and engaging with others and how that can, you know, come into play either a year from now or 10 years from now. Um but he also talked a little bit about the the recruiting role that Price is going to step into with coordinating for the defense. And, you know, I like what he what he said there. Um, you know, going to be talking about, you know, who the kids talking about Who within that kid's orbit you need to connect with to make sure that, you know, you're on the right page um, with the people that are important to that kid. Um, Coordinate back to the coaches what's been said to that kid. Um, what needs to be said to that kid? All of those type of things that that's going to be important for that role. So he he highlighted that, and I think that was kind of good insight into what, um, you know, kind of the 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 progress this team is making on the recruiting front, even if it's not quite happening as fast as we would like it to. Yep. Yeah, well, we're in a now
0: society. Everybody wants now, 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 now. But that orbit thing you talked about, because he even said it. He's like, you know, Uncle coaches trainers pastors know everybody because if you connect with one of them that potential if you connect you connect with the you know his uncle his uncle Jim and he loves Uncle Jim and you have great conversations Uncle Jim Uncle Jim is able to translate some of the stuff you're saying to him and it's Uncle Jim saying it not the coach from Virginia Tech that's when it starts coming in. It's like, well, hold on. If Uncle Jim likes what he's saying, and I and I understand what he's saying, and I like it. Okay, maybe this is where I go. Yeah. All right, Brown. Let's let's just go ahead and beat up on everybody's favorite punching bag in the Hokies community currently. <laughs> Pete Morris. <laughs> Pete Morris. We're, we're gonna we're gonna hit him because there's a couple things that happened. A, we already mentioned it earlier with the Normwood tweet.
1: If you stream the presser in real time, you do not have to refute these clickbait headlines or clickbait tweets or all this stuff. It's already there. People that were interested have already seen it. And if someone comes out with this bullshit, you can in real time before it becomes a narrative you know, back it up with actual footage that can say, hey, that's not what he said. Here's what was said in context. Yeah. It's a no brainer. It, th- these are th- stop missing the layups. Missing stop the layups. missing the layups.
0: But it's also a funny point because you talk about not only they can do it, but we, Okie Nation, can do it. Because if that thing had been streamed live and there's probably three, 400 people listening to it, probably on Twitter like we are, CNorm does that. They're all over him the second he tweets it. Bullshit, Norm. You need to take this down and you need to put it exactly how it's contextualized. You're trying to get clicks. You're trying to write a narrative. We don't like it. And then the whole piece becomes, as people start looking at that and saying, why are all these people saying what he said was wrong? Oh, they listen. Oh, here's the clip. Oh, Norm's full of shit. Out of shot. What about the other thing, Brian? We're listening to it. There's 23 minutes of Jay hams and we're sitting here. He's getting to a really good piece. And seriously,
1: Jay ham was talking about his family and some other stuff. And all of a sudden the feed ends. I don't think there was any other questions after that, but he cut him off before he finished the answer. He was giving to the last question or the, or, or, or whatever, you know, context he was, he was speaking on at that time as he was closing things out. Um, Probably be not better. anything of importance there, but you don't cut somebody off in the middle of a sentence just to do it. So that was kind of weird to me, um, and it looks unprofessional, especially since you're putting that on your website for any and everyone to listen to. Yeah, it's it's special- me.
0: exactly. All right, Brian. So let's just go ahead and, and just do it. You know, we we watched both of them. Give me the what you felt. And kind of what we discussed is the biggest differences between the J. Ham presser and the core presser.
1: The way J. Ham engages with the members of the press corps is not only significantly better, but impressive in its own right. Praise the good questions that were coming out. Makes observations about people in the press corps that are on the zoom call. Uh, I think he called out Mike Barber uh, having some of his children's drawings in the background on the yes, Zoom indeed. call. So he understands that those personal aspects of these type of enga- things matter. These engagements matter. It it's good for the fan base. It's good for the media. It, it's good for everything. There, there's no reason to be combative um, with with these folks because they're they're trying to do their job most of the time. And you know, when it comes time to something like the norm Wood tweet, you have a leg to stand on. If you're, you've been engaging with, with the media, whether you've been open with the media, if you're not open, they, they write the narrative themselves. But when you have stuff like this, it, it, it helps that relationship. And it helps when you do have some sort of beef with something that, that is written or tweeted, you you feel like you've got some sort of leg to stand on with your argument. Absolutely. Brian, absolutely. Write your narrative,
0: write your narrative. Don't let them write it. Brian checking out here. I don't think anything's broken. I don't think we picked up our second commitment of the day. With, no, uh, not yet, man. <laughs> not yet, You guys will hear about that on a uh, separate episode coming at you soon here. There is nothing left, Brian. It's late, man. The snow keeps falling. It's going to be a fun day tomorrow. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson.
1: I'm Brian Sigla.
0: Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe for the podcast on your favorite source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening and as always, let's
1: go! Hokies!